0: We just heard about connectedness through language and uh, as very beautifully pointed out, there is another connectedness through experience because language is a tool, thoughts are a vehicle, words are instruments to express what we are experiencing deep inside. And to that extent that the words can express what we experience, they are wonderful mediums. But as we know what has happened to human speech, that instead of connecting us, it has become a source of disconnecting us. So the reason is this, because as words move from the depth to the surface, from the root expressions to sounds and symbols which have a fixed meaning in our head, we lose the real essence And uh, it has happened to almost every word. Today, when we talk about the word knowledge, we instinctively feel that it's a gathering of facts and information from books and net and etc. etc. But not not through the language of uh, through the science of words, which is a very wonderful science. But through the uh, science of yogic experience, what really is knowledge? Knowledge is a state of unity and identity. But thus alone we can know. There is no other way to know anything unless we are in a state of unity and identity. So when the yogi uses the word knowledge, he is referring to a state of unity. He is referring to a state of identity. There is no other sense in which he uses the word knowledge. But um, when the word's meaning is fixed in our head, then we use the word knowledge to mean a gathering of information and facts from number of books on yoga and And speaking about it and writing books on yoga, but none of this is really yogic knowledge. The true knowledge is when we are in a state of unity and identity uh, with whatsoever in in the yogic sense with the fundamental reality behind this creation. Similarly, I was uh, drawn while listening to the word strength. And it's very interesting that the word strength, whatever its outer mode may be, but strength derives from the sense of the stable within us. If we find the stable axis, then we are strong. And uh, just as knowledge in our ignorance, we mean gathering of data and facts from outside. Similarly, strength in our ignorance, we mean finding support outside. So when we, when we seek support outside, from outside, we are not really strong, we are weak. Because we have not really found that basis of strength within us, which is to find the stable axis. And of course, as we know, that the stable axis can only be one, the one real within this creation. And then we have this word love. These are the three trinity of man's manhood. Sri Aurobindo speaks about it. Strength in the nature, knowledge and love. These are the three uh, essence of manhood. And what is love? Again, when we look at the external aspects of love, It's a means to reach out, a means to bring together, a means to even unite. But in its deepest sense, love is the bridge thrown from the one to the many. So it's the power that holds everything together. And that's where really the journey of love starts. The problem of us as human beings is that we live in a very narrow band frequency of experiences. And the narrower the repertoire of experience, the more chaos and confusion it creates. And therefore, the only way that we can arrive at a state of true understanding within and with all that is around us is to broaden and widen our repertoire of experience till the limited merges into the wider and wider and eventually into the infinite. This is the journey of any and every element, any and every quality that is uh, there in creation. And while at a human level we use the word quality in its... uh, In its deepest truth, it is the journey of the gods. We just heard that story. Yes. We just heard that story about uh, the gods and the gods being Agni, going into the depths of the darkness. So each of these qualities is essentially a godhead, which is building forms for its own manifestation. This is a totally different way of looking at the whole drama of creation that basically everything is a journey of these gods which are powers and aspects of the divine which are laboring in the heart of darkness and why they are laboring? they are laboring to create a form which can perfectly manifest what they are in their origin something of that grace, that beauty that delight should be able to be expressed through a form and this is the whole journey now uh, the same way we can look at love, that love is one of the fundamental powers that has gone into creation to pull the creation out of its state of ignorance and darkness. This journey is very beautifully described. In fact, when Sri speaks of the the journey of uh, human journey and the evolutionary journey of life, very interestingly he takes the example of love. So these are some of the beautiful lines which one never tires to read. I'll just read them from on page 632. Out of the void this grand creation rose. What a powerful line that out of this void this grand creation rose. <clears throat> For this the spirit came into the abyss. And charged with its power, matter's unknowing force. In night's bare session to cathedral light. In death's realm, repatriate immortality. And now come these magical lines. In mystic, slow, transfiguration works, all our earth starts from mud and ends in sky. So this is the fate of everything in creation. Fate is not uh, what happens to us externally. Very beautifully, Shubindo speaking of fate, he says in Savitri, O King, the events that meet thee on thy road, though they smite thy body and soul with joy and grief, are not thy fate. And what is fate? The road, the goal thou choosest are thy fate. So, irrespective of the events, events will come and go. Events that we call as pleasant, events that we call as unpleasant, Events that smite us with sorrow and grief, just as events that fill us with a sense of joy. And yet, these are simply things on the way. The goal, the road we choose, that is our fate. And so he gives this example, all our earth starts from mud and ends in sky. And love that was once an animal's desire, then is sweet madness in the rapturous heart. An ardent comradeship in the happy mind becomes a wide spiritual yearnings space. A lonely soul passions for the alone. The heart that loved man thrills to the love of God. It's a it's really miracle. Often people ask. We have, or many of us have been to Pondicherry. People ask, What is the miracle that you see in Pondicherry? So, you know, with miracle, we think uh, suddenly you know, um, you know, you go there, and when you come back, you find a, without even perhaps taking a lottery, there is a windfall of money in your house. For all we know, it may be a curse. The mother says, Not always a blessing because it may completely bind us. But this is a great miracle. Uh, That happens and that miracle is very strange that uh, we have many of us or most of us. We have neither seen the divine, we have not heard the divine from the divine voice. We have not uh, touched him or held his body but the miracle of miracles that one feels love for him. One cries for him. It's amazing. I mean, normally we think love means somebody whom you have, you know, people often say you must first meet and then you fall in love and etc. etc. But it's very strange that what is it in us that really loves? And how does it love someone or something that it has never seen, felt, touched, heard, smelt? What kind of love is it? Which one doesn't even understand? If you really look at the world, there is... um, You know, the whole appearance of the world contradicts the divine. It's amazing. Uh, If you really look at the appearances, we say that divine is truth. We see a play of falsehood everywhere. The divine is pure existence. We see mixtures everywhere. The divine is ananda, delight. And we have on our wages a mixed baggage of pleasure and pain and indifference. Uh, Divine is all consciousness, all power. But we see a play of weakness and strength partial weakness, partial strength. So, everything in the world contradicts the divine. We do not understand his ways. And yet, the mystic heart loves him. And I find personally, this is a great miracle. In fact, even when in life one has gone through personal tragedies, things within one's own life leave aside outside, things which can shatter and shake the human heart, and yet love for the divine continues and grows it's it's an amazing experience and that is because at the root of all this there is love as a power that is laboring in creation and how it evolves so beautifully Bindu summarizes love that was once an animal's desire the first expression of love is to devour that's why the first love of people is to eat so and the first expression of love that people often have is they, you know, when guests come to the house, you offer food and drink. The mother first expression of love is to feed the baby, and this is because uh, to devour or to feed this is the the first movement of love. In animal creation, this is how it expresses itself: to devour, to take in. So it's an animal's desire. In human beings, uh, strangely it takes um, forms which obviously are not consistent with the because each level must experience love in its own way. In human being it takes the form of, uh, when love is still at the animal level, it takes the form of devouring the other person's personality completely. So there are people who uh, call it love and yet they would finish the other person's personality leaving no room and no space to grow. Whereas the highest expression of love is to give the person complete freedom and space. It's amazing, it sounds very paradoxical. And who can be so secure in love to allow complete freedom and space? Only that person who is completely secure in love has the strength and the power to allow complete freedom. Because he knows that you know there is this love which is holding together. You don't have to do it by any external means. However far, however distant a person may be, yet... This power of love will hold together. It's the supreme, it itself is security. It doesn't need any, anything else. And yet, when we are at the most animal level, then it needs to hold, to cling, to eat, sometimes to finish the person. It's a very sad expression of love. So love in its early stages, that was once an animal's desire. Then a sweet madness in the rapturous heart. This is the beautiful love, which unfortunately never reaches its culmination. So all the tales of love, which are um, like a sweet madness, they all end in tragedy. And as a child, I used to wonder why all these tales end in tragedy. Was it, you know, people were (laughs) in love with tragedy? But there is a deep and profound truth in it. That, uh, you know, uh, any any ideal whether it be of love or anything else. When we try to erect it on the basis of sentimentalism, it is bound to failure. Whatever, however great be the ideal, ideal of freedom, ideal of unity, ideal of, uh, I mean, love, anything we want to equality based on pure sentiments, it doesn't work out because it's an ignorant way of trying to create unity. So we have this angst, if we really go to the 60s and we hear some of these songs, where there is this angst of love and along with this angst of love there is the pang of separation. They come together as if, as it were and it almost ends in a kind of tragic note simply because there is no true basis to create that unity. It's just not possible with the heart still unpurified, with the heart still living in cabins So there is a rapture, there is a madness, there is a sweetness in that madness. Even one enjoys that madness. But for how long? After a while, this energy tends to move within a small and limited circle and is unable to find the true expression. So from there it ascends to some still greater level, an ardent comradeship in the happy mind. So this is another level of union, uh, another expression of love, where one shares thoughts. And um, ideas and beliefs, when people having common ideas and thoughts come together, it's very interesting that their bonding goes very deep because idea lives much longer. This madness can be a very turbulent thing. It is like a storm which we witnessed yesterday. What was it? Derico or whatever. So it comes and, you know, it's thunders and flashes and rain, but very soon it passes away. So sweet madness is like that. Whereas uh, when... Uh, expression of love or a relationship is based on idea, a commonality of idea. It can outlive sometimes even the physical body's uh, death. Shabindo speaks about it in Immortal Love, one of his poems. He has written, by the way, very beautiful poems of on love. Maybe tomorrow we can read some of them. But this is also not the highest expression of love because idea is still a dress. Idea is still a reflection in the mind of something which is still deeper. After all, even idea uses a language as a vehicle. But there is something still deeper. For instance, we use the word unity. Or we use the word freedom. Liberty. There is even a statue of liberty. So, uh, and we want to create liberty and freedom. And uh, we want to create unity. But how do we really create it? Can we really create it on this basis? Just as an idea that there should be freedom. Everybody should be free we see the very same idea because it's expressed in terms of ignorance leads to its own downfall. So one one allows for freedom and there is freedom because we at our human level understand by freedom the freedom to make choices and do anything and everything. And it's wonderful. But what happens by the very power because this is a freedom which is a freedom in ignorance. So after a while this very freedom turns upon itself and leads to a swift or a slow downfall. So a great ideal becomes its own cause of its own nemesis because freedom to be free has to be based on something vast, something which is not subject to the mutations of time. Then we can truly be free, the ideal of spiritual freedom. So here, even this idea, sharing of idea and ardent comradeship in the happy mind becomes a wide spiritual yearning space. So after a while one realizes that look none of these levels none of these expressions of love are truly perfect so love will journey further and it will look for an expression which is independent of all these three when we we truly love when we do not love simply because of the um, you know physical appearances togetherness or an emotional stir and feeling or a sharing of common thought <laughs> but something which is independent of all this and then we touch something like the intrinsic nature of love. And this love, as the mother says very beautifully, all love comes from the divine. And it reaches out to the divine in another person. Actually, it's the bridge, the golden link. So it tries to reach out to the divine in another person. And and at a human level, we can see how it works. It's very interesting. When people fall in love, they have an ideal image. Actually, we say that we love the person. But we don't love the person. We love an image. And this image is basically creation of our own mind. So we have an ideal of love within our head. And when we meet another person or when we say we love another person, we automatically transfer this ideal. It's a very unconscious movement onto the other person. And we begin to love. That's why people say love is blind because we do not see the person as the person is. But we superimpose an ideal. And for a moment it colors everything and uh, you know like how parents love their children and most parents have a wonderful opinion of their children they are the very best children in the world ask um, a mother you know that akbar birbal story that uh, who who is the most loved one so it's it's the child who who is loved most and very often we don't realize that very unconsciously we have transferred an image onto the child it's not the child whom we love But we are loving our own self, whom we have superimposed on the child. Or when we love another person, it's our own self whom we have superimposed on the other person. Our own sense of ideal. And quite naturally, after a while, when the child grows up and says, Well, dad and mom, that's your life. I have another life. I have quite different way of looking at things. Love begins to breach. It's a very beautiful movie. One should have seen Morning Raga. I don't know. It's in... um, um, the Mahesh the movie. It's a wonderful movie. And uh, this child when he grows up, very beautifully, he tells his father, his father wants him to take up the family business and you know look after the village, but he's into music. and uh, he tries to experiment with music. Eventually after a long time, he is given a chance to perform. and he calls his father and says, "Daddy, I may not be the person you would have wanted to be your child." But, uh, you know, I would like you to come and know the person who I am. It's a very touching moment when he goes and says that, please come and see. I may not be the boy whom you would have liked to be your son, but I want you to know who is the person who is your son. It's something very interesting that, um, you know, as we grow in this journey, we begin to love from some fundamental poise of our being and we begin to love something very fundamental in human beings or in creation it does not stop with human beings because this fundamental truth is there in creation but before we can do that the first step is to learn to when we say seek the divine or love the divine basically uh, there are two ways of looking at it one is turn away from creation stop loving human beings and love the divine only in a kind of exclusive worship of one Godhead this may be a passage But obviously, if this is the culmination of all love, then it's a very incomplete thing. Because then what happens to creation? What happens to humanity? What happens to everything else? So, this is a passage when we have to turn away from all the coats and coverings in which the power of love is held. And we have to learn to love the divine who is the perfect one. But in ignorance, we want to see the divine in another person. This is where all the problem starts. Mother says, when a person loves another person, it means you want a personal divine for yourself. Because, (laughs) what do we want? The most perfect, intelligent. You know, one of my friends once gave gave a big advertisement for his, God knows, fourth or fifth marriage. (laughs) And in that advertisement is thousand words advertisement. Wanted. And you know, in India it starts with convent educated good looking, smart, intelligent, (laughs) caring, house making, you know, all these qualities. So, when he showed us the advertisement, so, you know, then uh, we just told him that, look, you know, it seems uh, you are searching for the fate of Draupadi. (laughs) (laughs) Draupadi asked for that, you know, it seems he asked you (laughs) So Shiva said, such a model is not created in this world. But what I can do is, you can have five persons in which some something or the other will be manifest. Now you try to build something out of them. But eventually she realized that even these five most powerful husbands, the most you know ideal human beings upon earth, they are not ultimate. They also can fail. They also have the limitations. So, ultimately, what does Draupadi uh, does? The soul turns to the divine alone. There is a very beautiful story regarding this. That when Draupadi goes, we know she is among the panch kanyas whom we revered. She is revered. It is very interesting that she had five husbands. It's You know, we hardly... You know, Indian sense of morality is very, very wonderful. It is very wide. We have reduced it to, you know, kitchen morality. Or a house morality. But what a... Deep lesson there can be in this small story that Draupadi is among the Panchkanyas, Mandodri is among the respected ones. She is wife of a Titan. Now, what quality did the seer see? So, when there is a samvad between Draupadi and Savitri, she says, "Why is it that someone like you is, you know, regarded as someone so special and sacred?" She says, "Well, could be because I loved only one." <laughs> so. <laughs> she says, loved only one then you were being partial so it is true that you basically loved Arjuna more than others so you don't really deserve to be the best because you should have loved all of them equally ok if you had five husbands fine but love them equally who, who told you that I loved Arjuna the most oh then was it Bhima the slayer of Kichaka no 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 you don't know oh must be Yudhishthir after all he was the crown king you are mistaken Oh, I understand. The most handsome of all, Nakul and Sahdev, None were like them in looks and appearances. You get it all wrong. Who was it? Someone else? Who was this sixth one? She says, I loved only Krishna. Only he was there in my heart. What a beautiful story. That by loving the one, we can end up loving this whole creation. This love, Shavinda speaks of this, that... Bhakti in Integral Yoga is not an exclusive turning inside in a personal adoration of the Eternal. It is a starting point. Very often, uh, you know, one there is a movement of bhakti in which we feel like that. That we feel that this whole creation is not worth it. And one wants to tear off all this and just simply relate only to the Divine within. But he says in integral yoga this bhakti must extend itself to include all other creations as part of the one. They are all portions of the one. So we have this magical line becomes a wide spiritual yearning space, a lonely soul, passions for the alone. What magnificent. You know this is meditation. A Lonely soul, passions for the alone. And what would be that state, how the divine would be drawing himself towards his soul, which has eventually discovered that it is all alone, but meant only for the divine. This is um, one of the signs that one is ready for spiritual life. When mother was asked, what are the signs of readiness for spiritual life? Interestingly, it is there also in the Gita. So, uh, loneliness doesn't bother us. This one of the signs. Why? Because when we are alone, We are with whom? We are with the one who alone is our most intimate. Who else can be so intimate? So, in fact, the spiritual seeker seeks more and more moments when one can be alone. And alone in his lonely temple, cathedral, he can turn exclusively to the divine. And how beautifully the heart, that loved man, thrills to the love of God. This is the miracle of miracles. Uh, I mean, people speak about how can we love somebody whom we don't know. But this is the beauty, that it is through love we know. How do we know the Divine? By love we know Him. All the three approaches to the Divine, Bhakti and Jnana and Karma, of course each one has his own personal preferences. I have my obvious preference for Bhakti, that's why I use this example. So when we know about the Divine, we are led into His study room. He says, Okay, you want to know about me? Come into my study room, and he tells us, This is myself, this is my aspects, attributes, everything. And we go back from the study room. Sometimes he offers us a good cup of tea. After all, it's a great privilege to have a cup of tea with the divine. So that's it. Somebody who wants to serve him, he says, Look, this study room, okay, wherever I am, you just be with me. That's that's what I want, because I may need you anytime. So the servant is allowed into. A little more inner chambers, even where he is resting, the servant has to be there. So he is allowed a greater intimacy with the divine. But one whom he loves, he says, oh, that is also a distance. Come, lie down with me and I will reveal to you not only what you see and what uh, I tell you, but I will reveal to you my dreams, my deepest secrets which are lying within my heart, which none can see, none has seen. So this is the power of this yearning for the alone that he begins to reveal himself, not only his, what he has manifested, but even those things which have not yet been brought into this universe, which are yet, even the gods do not know about it. This is the power of bhakti that one begins to, you know, get these revelations. The heart that loved man thrills to the love of God. A body is his chamber and his shrine. What a beautiful line. We were just talking about center. Where is the center? Where is the temple? This is the temple. What a beautiful thing. And if only we can really make it a temple. I mean, if we can just for one day, one hour, maybe one minute, imagine that this is the residence of God. And how do I then, what kind of thought should adorn him? What kind of, you know feelings we clean up the house today we had a massive cleaning so if we can have a cleaner super cleaner kleenex because you know this is a temple now if this temple is full of smokes of doubt if this temple is full of dirt of you know passions and desires of very ugly kind if it is full of ignoble thoughts then what kind of temple it would be we can imagine with all the rakshasas and asuras and bhutas dancing around Shiva will still come <laughs> but <laughs> he will then close his eyes and go into his trance. But if you really want that Krishna should manifest here, then this temple to create this temple sometimes one has to go through a whole inner Kurukshetra because the whole field has to be cleared. So Shrabindhu says a body is his chamber and his shrine. Then is our being rescued from separateness. All is itself. All is new felt in God. Then the next step is one embraces the whole existence. All is itself. Where is the separation? Who is this other one? There are beautiful examples. One in the, in mother's life when some, we know how she, how her love reached out to uh, you know, we talk about human beings, but how even to the gods, even to the titans, even to the animal kind. There was a crow who would come at a fixed time and mother would feed. And then there was this uh, story about the lizard which fell on mother's heart and the disciple rushed to remove it. And she said, but I am the mother. I am the mother. Even this lizard is my child. Even she has met the king of snakes and she want almost the. They wa- he wanted a pact with her. The king of the, the cat, the donkey the dogs, the animal kind, how she has poured her love on all this creature. Not only that, on the tree, on plants. The trees would come to her, that your famous favorite disciple is caxing me. Please do something about it. And mother would call him. You are planning to cut this tree? Yes, mother, but how did you know? The tree came to me. And complained that, mother, is going to cut me off. He doesn't know He doesn't understand. He cannot feel my being as a living entity. Now this is the kind of state of unity in which one can awaken through the power of love. Not only with unity with the divine insight, but unity with all creation. So, all is itself. All is new felt in God. A lover leaning from the cloister's door gathers the whole world into his single breast. I'm reminded of a line in prayers and meditation where the mother says, O Lord, thou hast promised that thou wilt come, and I saw that when thou came the whole world rose up in revolt. That's how she says, and you took this world into your arms and we knew that the earth was saved. Such an experience it is, marvelous. Whole world will rise in revolt when you come. And what you do, <laughs> because Divine doesn't know any other movement. When people ask the Mother, Mother, are you angry with me? Because obviously the disciple had a little chore in the heart because he had done something which he shouldn't have done. We are all the time doing things which we shouldn't do. So he asked Mother, are you angry with me? Why do you say so? Mother, you, you saw me with round eyes. Round eyes? I don't remember. No, no, you know, that disciple in front of me, you gave a little more time. When I came, you just, as if, you know, I was nobody, you just let me pass. My child, why are you projecting all these things on me? I am incapable of being angry with anyone. Even when the divine destroys, it is with love. That is why when Krishna slays, it is not called vadha it is Uddhar. He, he sees that, you know, that's the only way to release that entrapped consciousness, the soul which is suffering inside. What a titan's body, what an ugly thoughts, what dark feelings inside. Oh, such a body. So the soul, probably I can conceive Ravana's soul, praying to Rama, please Lord, liberate me from this state. Not only me, but along with me, all my brothers, my family. So, it is out of compassion that he slays. So, even we have those lines in who he slays without stint and is full of compassion. So, this is how the divine love can express itself. It leans and embraces. And when it embraces, whatever resists can sometimes be broken. In this world, there are only two options with regard to God. We are bound to embrace him. But we can have two types of embrace. Embrace of the wrestler and embrace of the lover. Both cases ego is going to go. But the difference is embrace of the wrestler is a very painful thing. Because when the ego is crushed, we don't even realize. We think we love divine. We actually love ourselves and project the same movement which we do with human beings. The same movement we do with the divine. All our ideas which are in the head of the divine, we create an image of the divine. And we love that image. This is the first idol that we form. The divine in the beginning conforms to that image because thus alone can the soul grow. So we have this idea that the divine, you know, Tirupati Balaji has shrine. So whoever goes there, regardless of anything, he gets whatever he asks. So I still remember going to Tirupati, not to the shrine but to the center and people asked me that, would you like to go to the shrine? I said, no, I am not very comfortable about a god who is blindly giving everybody whatever they ask. And then I felt, maybe if he gets angry and takes away whatever little I am. <laughs> So <laughs> After all, you should not displease the gods, you know. So, <laughs> so, I didn't go, but wherever I was, from there I prayed. I said, see, I appreciate <laughs> what you are doing. <laughs> But have some sense of balance and justice. Don't do this that you know you are giving to everybody. There are people who can't come to your shrine who desperately need things, and please provide to them also. That would be true. You don't have, you know, why should they travel all the way and get off their hairs to receive your grace? So give to everybody, but by all means, there are people who really, really need and, you know, it will be really very fine. So this this prayer came and I thought that if I ask for everybody, I am included as part of it. So surely he will take care of me also. So, uh, you know, this sense of embracing everything, this automatically comes. But we initially love an image of the Divine. We don't love the Divine. And Mother says this. In fact, in Savitri itself, there is a line where they say that... <clears throat> She has come into the little room of the idea. And she limits herself. She has chosen to imprison herself into the forms that we chose. But she remains herself in infinite. Towards the end it comes. We have erected thousand idols of her. And we have all these ideas. Oh Divine, He will always protect us regardless of anything. And to a large extent if we have a faith, He limits Himself to that. But this is not the truth. Divine, he is so vast. When one is reminded of uh, you know the story of Guru Nanak and um, Mardana, so you know they are going together. And one night we know what happened in Guru Nanak's life. The uh, Mughal invaders they caught him, put him in jail where he was treated very badly. He was whipped and all kinds of things. So Mardana says, "What is Divine doing?" <laughs> Somebody like you, who has so much trust in him, is being thrown into the jail and treated like this. So Guru Nanak says, look, you know, I am too tired. Mardana will talk about it tomorrow morning. Why don't you just take a rest, lovely grass, just sleep off. You know, let's call it a day, it's very late. We'll talk about it tomorrow. So next day Mardana gets up, he still has the question. He says, can you tell me why you have been treated like this? Guru Nanak says, uh, okay, I'll answer this question, but first tell me, how many ants have been crushed under your uh, body when you were sleeping? He looks around, ants, I didn't feel any ants. Then he looks down below, he says, oh, few I can see at least, you know. he says, you know, Mardana, the wa- divine consciousness is like that, vast, infinite. You think you are someone very special, very important, that God must leave everything to save you. But do you know, before that vastness, your existence is like an ant. When that consciousness moves and unfolds like a giant tsunami, what will survive and what will remain? And what will go down? What will be broken? Do you have any idea? That consciousness, when it unfolds itself, it is like that. So we always have a very good opinion of ourselves, and there is nothing wrong with it. So divine must always protect at all costs whatever we do or do not do. Just because what we have done every day five minutes we do an agarbatti before him and pray some famous prayer, favorite Sanskrit prayer like a parrot. So mother has said it doesn't work like that. My child, you have to have done much. Even you know people go to Shri room. Often, you know, just because somebody knows or somebody can, you know, speak Bangla or somebody has uh, some connection and, you know, they are allowed to go. But when mother was asked, my said, mother said, oh, he wants to meditate in Shurabindu's room. My child, one must have done much for Shurabindu to be given that privilege of meditating for a few minutes in his room. So the disciple asked, what does it mean to do much for Shurabindu? Mother says, consecrate your life. Is it a joke? So we expect, uh, we have an image of the divine which has been passed from tradition. And uh, they are very beautiful images. But what happens in real life, when we really find those images are shattered, actually divine is freeing us and allowing us to love him truly. But we fall back. When Meera steps out of the Raj Gharana, First thing that happens, her golden uh, Krishna, idol. After all, she was a princess, so she carries that idol. And as the legend has it, that that night when she sleeps, asking Krishna to protect her, idol itself is stolen, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So, she says, what is this? You were meant to protect me. And here you yourself has gone away. The only support that I had, you are my only friend and that has gone away. <clears throat> it says, you don't know. You think that you know me. Now I will reveal myself to you. And this is amazing. In, in every you know spiritual tradition, uh, we are also reminded of this story of Sri Ramakrishna Paramahansa. When he is led from point to point of realization and he finally sees that image of Kali, Then Totapuri tells him, now take a sword and cut it into pieces. He says, what are you telling me? How can I do it? He says, you have to do it if you have to identify. It's a, you know, very difficult. And then he pierces through and identifies with that consciousness. It's so vast, so infinite. So we have these images and we love even God through these layers. We don't even realize that this is ignorance. That we see everything in life filtered through this ignorance. So even experience is limited. That's why Swamindo speaks of the supermind. At the level of the mind, whatever we may experience, including experience of the divine, it is not the highest and truest experience. That's why the mother says, you know, many mystics who saw the splendors of the over mind, they felt that they had touched the highest and she says one can understand why they felt like that but it was still seen through the overmind so there's a little parda uh, and through that one sees it's a brilliant cut in as shubhin says it's a you know a kind of cut in which uh, is both trans it's a translucent cut in so one almost feels that one is actually seeing the reality but one is not seeing the reality one is seeing its reflection and this reflection is not the true thing. So that's why Shubindu insists on the supermind. that even, very often people say, everybody has experienced the divine, so what's the big deal? Why get into all this supermind business? We just have to ascend beyond the rational mind and we can experience, we have to go inside, we can experience. Shubindu says, as long as you are there within the circle of magic, circle of nature, Okay. Lower down, it's very obscure. So, the experience of divine is also like that. That's why uh, Sampad Bhai was uh, reminding us of the Tantra tradition where we have three levels at which we see the divine. And at at each level, we have a corresponding prayer. So, at the level of Pashu, we have Pashupati. So, Pashupati is the Lord. And then, at the level of man, the bhav, And then, finally, it is Gopal at the level of the Devta, where the whole worship becomes symbolic, it's no more external. At the level of Pashupati, the worship is also very crude. It is, uh, you know, sacrificing maybe the external animal at the altar. Because that alone can be understood by a crude consciousness. But at the level of devabhav it is the sacrificing the animal which is inside us. So the whole thing changes depending on the level of consciousness, the whole experience of love for the divine changes entirely. Even what we perceive or understand as the divine changes entirely. And the more the force of devotion, the more the intensity of love, the more we begin to discover that unity, that vastness, which is encompassing everything in everything of creation. So here we have this a lover leaning from his cloister's door, gathers the whole world into his single breast. Uh, sampad bhai was reminding some of these lines have kalidasian and upanishadic rings very true you know one like for instance when we read about the human love between satyavan and savitri you actually get a complete ring of kalidas in it what supreme sensuousness is there but uh, you know brought to such sublime levels you know only kalidas can uh, uplift sensuousness into a you know spiritual art it's amazing so, something like that you find in Shurbindo's writing. Then equally there are many lines which have an Upnishadik ring, O truth defended in thy secret uh, sun. Entirely one has the ring of the Upanishad. So here we have this line which is Upnishidic line that he who sees all becomings as the oneself. In the Ish Upnishad, we have this line a lover leaning, but look at the profundity of this image. A lover leaning from his cloister's door gathers the whole world into his single breast. Then shall the business fail of night and death. This <laughs> is a lovely line. Night and death are about their business. What is their work? To separate, to divide, to separate, to divide, to separate to divide. So this is the work of death. It always separates. That's why in Savitri we have love versus death. Why not life versus death? No. Love is the power that unites. Whole creation it unites. Death is a power that divides. How does it divide? It always comes at the end of the life journey and tells us, you know what, you thought that you are this, I am going to take this away. So, death cuts off this sheath. So, we hide in the vital. See, oh my God, but this is me, this vital. We say, oh, you think you are this, I am going to take this away. It takes away. Now, find your identity. Oh, I am this mental sheath. Oh, this, this too I will take, this too comes into my kingdom. And then it, when it takes away all these three sheets, then we discover our utter nudity, our utter truth. And then we have a wonderful bath in the divine fountain and then we are ready to come back. So how beautiful if a time can come. So what is death doing? Eventually separating the soul from the body, separating the divine from this world at the highest level. But how beautifully one day when death comes and says, I want to take away this body. And we could say, how can you? What else is this body but God? That is the day the transformation would be completed. We have hints of this in our stories of Mark and day. He says, I do not die. Why? Because even this body belongs to Shiva. These are hints. Beautiful hints. So the day our whole body can be apotheosized to the Divine. When it can belong to the Divine. That is... When the power of love would have conquered death completely. Because death cannot take even the body in that case. Whatever belongs to the truth, to the divine, whatever is united with him cannot be taken away. And whatever is not united can be taken away. So death and night have this business. They are busy moving around. And whatever is not united, it takes away, it divides, it separates. This is its work. When unity is won, when strife is lost... And all is known and all is classed by love. Who would turn back to ignorance and pain? So this is the one part of the journey. It starts from where? Starts from the mud, the crawling warm, warm like love. It just knows to eat, eat and eat, devour, devour and devour. Where does it end? Give, give and give. What a complete reversal. Starts with devouring. Ends with giving. Giving to what? To whom? To the entire creation. Its whole embrace. When the lover leans from its cloistered doors. Just a few lines. Then maybe we will pause for questions. O death, I have triumphed over thee within. I quiver no more with the assault of grief. A mighty calmness seated deep within has occupied my body and my sense. It takes the world's grief and transmutes to strength. It makes the world's joy one with the joy of God. This is the power that love can um, bring into a human consciousness. It can drink the poison of the world and yet not be bitter. Like Shiva, it stains the throat and that's it. This is love. Shiva, the supreme ascetic, he knows how to love. He looks as if he is not interested in love. <laughs> that's what the lord of love felt. Vital love. Devi's vital love. That he... Just cannot move him to love. Savitri, this Parvati's tapasya is also not able to move him to love. So Shiva says, I am not going to be so easily fooled. So, what Shiva does? He goes and tests Parvati. He conceals himself in a very, you know, like a beggar with very ugly face, and he says, uh, and then he, he comes as a person who can grant her all the boons. but she is not carried away by all these things. She says, I love one pointedly Shiva. The eternal. And then he is pleased. But how he loves? Out of his love, even for the titans, he drinks the poison. This is one expression of love, a godlike love. And where does the strength come? It comes from that power of love inside. My love eternal sits throned on God's calm. For love must soar beyond the very heavens and find its secret sense ineffable. It must change its human ways. To ways divine, yet keep its sovereignty of earthly bliss. This is the challenge given to man. We love humanly. Oh, we love animally, to be sure. We don't even know what is human love. But we have to change its earthly ways to ways divine. At one place, Nalini says, Yes, yes, we all love the mother, but we approach her in a human way. We must learn to approach her in the divine way. How to love her divinely. It can be a whole subject for meditation. He doesn't reveal and it has to be revealed inside us. We love her very humanly. Like all the things that human beings want, we want from her. And she gives. She's an indulgent mother. She says, You you think I am like a super mom? Okay, I'll be a super mom. But what it means to love divinely to love as the gods would love. That is the way we should approach her, divinely. So he says, love must change. Love must soar beyond the very heavens and find its secret sense ineffable. It must change its human ways to ways divine, yet keep its sovereignty of earthly bliss. This is a difficult task. To touch that point, And yet the physical itself, this very body itself, remains like an instrument of that love. It's very, very difficult because in in matter, the only love it knows is devour. The only love it knows is animal love. That's why it's very difficult to express that love in the human physical form. Tantra tried it and we know what happened to it. But it tried, it made a bold attempt. And in Tantra, this even at a physical level, to express a little of this love at a human level in the physical, the tapasya that was required was almost a near impossible tapasya. A person has to be completely free of all desire. Very often people talk about soulmate, and you know, nowadays there is matchmaking through soulmates, and everybody, you know, <laughs> is looking for a soulmate. When Shivinder was asked, he said, you know, it's better not to think about it because 50 times. You will be fooled. And maybe once you may click the right thing. Then he was asked, what is the condition to find a soulmate? He says, complete freedom from desire. So, first fulfill that condition. After that, look for soulmate. Otherwise, it will be soulmate but S-O-L-E. So, you know, people walk together but have nothing else in common. They simply are walking the journey of life together because they are helplessly bound by... Either circumstances of fate or law or society or whatever else, but there is nothing like a deep union. And so, what is that way, the divine way? O death, not for my heart's sweet poignancy, not for my happy body's bliss alone, I have claimed from thee the living Satyavan, but for his work and mine, our sacred charge. Our lives are God's messengers beneath the stars. To dwell under death's shadow they have come, tempting God's light to earth for the ignorant race. His love to fill the hollow in men's hearts, his bliss to heal the unhappiness of the world. He says, what is that? We don't love each other simply because we give each other happiness. That is all that is uh, nonsense. We have gone beyond it. We have to work together and only when we are together we become one unified force. Because there is the feminine and the masculine aspect and if they can come together in the truest and the highest sense. Now what she is going to reveal to us is a very very deep and profound secret. That how these two beings can come together and become strength of each other. As Sri writes from Granli Devi that will you walk with me and if you come with me my strength will not be diminished But it will increase many fold. And here we have those lines. Savitri is full of these revelations. For I, the woman, am the force of God. He, the Eternals, delegate soul in man. This is the secret. That if, when two people come together, if one can be the manifesting Shakti, the power of expression, And the other, the one who can gather and realize all the high truths and hold them within the consciousness. This coming together is the secret of love. And that is why we have, as the mother says, when somebody asked a message for marriage. And mother says, to be united in your sensations is good but not enough. To have common taste and tendency is very good but not enough. To be To share the same feelings is very very good but not enough. To have the same thoughts, same ideas is wonderful but not enough. And she says at the apex there burns a fire in the depths of the heart. To be united around that fire, to walk together with the same aspiration, hand in hand at the same pace towards the same goal on the same path. This is the secret of a lasting union. So beautifully conjured in the image of Agni. Around which we take seven firas. so at all the seven planes, there should be union, now of course, it's become a ritual while the union ferrah is going on, people are counting how much you know dowry has come from which side, who is wearing what dress, and what is the food being served that is very important because most people come somehow you know to have a good food and just go back, so it has lost its whole meaning. so for I, the woman am the force of God, she has realized that since he the Eternals delegate soul in man. My will is greater than thy law, O death. My love is stronger than the bonds of faith. Then we can have the power of love which can change destiny. Our love is the heavenly seal of the Supreme. I guard that seal against thy rending hands. And then these four lines with which this ends. Love must not cease to live upon the earth. However disfigured, however You know, it, it may be a broken reflection, yet love is at its root a very sacred power. It is the one power that can rescue everything. It has the power to transform, even at a very human level. If somebody can love someone truly with complete trust, the person will change. Somebody was asked, somebody asked the mother, mother, I have so much trust, uh, if, if I have faith in someone and the person does not measure up to my faith and breaks this faith, so what should one do? Mother says it means your faith was not strong enough. Totally a different sense. See, if you continue to have faith in the person, the person will change. One day the person will change. That is the faith one must carry. That is the power of love. And I think it is here that women like Mandodri and Tara have excelled. That they never lost faith. Till the very end, even when he is on, you know, sure death, she tells Ravana, now at least you. Surrender, open your being to Rama. She doesn't lose faith that even this moment, if somebody else would have said, this fellow has been such an idiot whole life, could he has ultimately gone. Maybe she would have gone and told him, didn't I tell you this? I told you so. But Mandodari doesn't say that. She still believes that he can change. Same thing Tara, she says to, to Bali, that you know, and to Angad also, she teaches him, but you know, whatever Rama has done, he has done consistent with dharma, and he tells he tells Bali that come under his sharan. So this faith, this power, that one day the person will change, despite everything. Of course, it doesn't mean we should be busy changing another. That's not what it means. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> we should be busy changing ourselves. But here that sense that. Love must, we should continue to love. Love must not cease to live upon the earth for love is the bright link twixt earth and heaven. Love is the far transcendence angel here. Love is man's lane on the absolute. This is where we will pause and we will begin. How is this angel has come into existence on earth? What is he doing here? This we will continue reading tomorrow. So we'll pause here.